You are listening to the Rooted Ministry Podcast, a conversation advancing gospel-centered ministry to youth. This episode was recorded at a workshop session at our 2017 conference in Dallas, Texas. For more information about Rooted, visit our website at www.rootedministry.com. My name's Walt Mueller, and I work with an organization called the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. We're based in Pennsylvania. Uh, Some of you may have heard of us, some maybe not. But what I'm going to talk about today, uh, it really does grow out of my own story in the sense that uh, I was involved in youth ministry starting. It's funny, I was talking to these guys last night. They said, oh, yeah, that was way before I was born. Uh, Starting in 1978 in a place called Johnstown, Pennsylvania, Shortly after a devastating flood there, I was doing youth ministry with kids in that city and uh, left there and went to seminary, Gordon-Conwell Seminary. And when I was about a week from graduating, I was waiting to talk to a professor in a hallway. And while I was waiting for him, another professor in the Christian Education Department, who I'd never had a class with, came out in the hallway. He's quite extroverted, uh, quite impulsive. He would tell you that. His name is Dan Jessen. And he saw me there. He came over. He introduced himself. He asked if I was a student there. Yes, I'm graduating. And he said, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do when you leave? I said, well, I'm going to go back into youth ministry. I've been in youth ministry for a few years. And I'm going to go back into youth ministry to Presbyterian Church outside of Philadelphia, suburban Philadelphia. And he got right down in my face and he asked me a question that really changed my life, my ministry, the trajectory of my life, uh, pretty much everything about me. Uh, And it wasn't, do you know Jesus, because that one had already been answered. But he asked me this question. He said, what are you going to do with parents? And I remember sitting there and just sort of, you know, I'm look, I'm young, all right, at this point. And I'm sitting there thinking about, uh, I'm going to graduate. I hope I answer this right so I don't have to go back and take another class. (laughs) But I said, "I I think what I'll do is what I've done with parents all along. And that is when I go back, I'll pull them together to meet about three times a year to tell them what we're doing in the youth ministry. And then I think the tone of my voice left him with this impression that what I was meaning to say, he read between the lines, you know, then the parents will be out of my hair and I can do what I need to do. And that is be called to minister to kids. And he said, well, I'm going to challenge you to do a lot more than that. And that question turned into about a half an hour and then actually a conversation for about another year where he helped me see, based on his experience in youth ministry and biblically, which was something I had known, that parents are the ones primarily responsible for the spiritual nurture of their kids. And like it or not, whatever you do with a student, they're going to become like their mom and their dad, generally speaking. And some of you have been in youth ministry long enough to see that. So Dan's question to me really changed the trajectory of how I did ministry. And when I got to that church, In 1986, we uh, made a deliberate effort to do what is now called uh, family-based youth ministry. Some have have called it that. And so everything we did, we we did with respect for parents, honoring parents and their role in the lives of their kids and work to equip and support parents. And it was pretty amazing what happened. I got into what I'm doing now uh, with CPYU. I'll just give you a little bit of that story because this, I hope, is encouraging to you. Because we had built these relationships with parents, and about three years into my time there, the parents came to me and they said, hey, we have a problem. 
And immediately, look, if you're in youth ministry and the parents come to you and say, we have a problem, I mean, automatically you default to, you know, what did I do now? And, and, I, and I'm thinking, what did I do now? And they said, well, this time the problem's not you, this time. Uh, the problem is us. You know, we're, we're trying to work to minister to our kids, to nurture our kids. And we're doing it in a context, a cultural context that is markedly different from the one that we grew up in. Our, our world is not their world. Can you help us understand their world? And so I thought, okay, you're asking, I'm going to try. Scared me to death. You know, what do I have to tell parents? I, I like to support parents. We've been working to support parents. We want to build, uh, you know, relationships between them and their kids, give them opportunity to communicate. But you want me to teach you now. So I said, I'm not going to teach you parenting. I can't do that. We had a couple of kids of our own at that point, but they were really little. I knew nothing. Uh, well, actually, I thought I knew a lot more than I actually know now. You know how that works. And so I worked very hard uh, over the course of about 12 weeks to communicate to them aspects of what was happening in the youth culture that they found to be very helpful. And they were able to have meaningful conversations with their kids about these things during the week. They would come back and say, hey, we got to talk about this, that and the other thing. And, you know, what a great way to be able to nurture our kids in the faith related to these issues. I thought the kids would be really angry at me. You know, we thought you were our friend. How dare you pull back the curtain on our culture and expose our parents to it, you know, to mess up our lives. But they loved it, too. And, and they came back and said we had some meaningful conversations with our parents that have been very helpful to us. So we saw the family being built. We saw spiritual nurture being done. And that grew into a calling uh, to do what we've been doing for 29 years now, full time uh, with the Center for Parent Youth Understanding. Uh, it's been an interesting, fast journey. It's been somewhat brutal because the culture is changing at breakneck speed, as you can imagine. I know a lot less now uh, than I knew 29 years ago, and I think it's weathered me pretty well. I'm actually only 40 years old. I know you can't tell looking at me, but um, yeah, it's like it's like I look in the mirror and I go, it's like an old sea captain. You know, you've been out on the ship for forever with the weather hitting you, and you realize this stuff, this is tough stuff, and it's tough stuff for parents. So this question changed my life, and it's a question I want you to consider today. And, and I'm sure, I think one of the things we, we all know, if you're here at Rooted, you know this, that parents are the ones primarily responsible for the nurture of their kids. Now, how do we, how do we support them? How do we, I don't know that I like the term lead them in that, but we'll use that here. That's the title we gave it. But what are some ways that we can do this? So what I want to focus on, this is going to, going to, going to come out of uh, my experience I started in youth ministry, not married. Now I'm a grandparent. Uh, I am married, too. I want you to know that. Uh, I moved from doing youth ministry in a culture in the 1970s to now looking at a culture and doing ministry in a culture of 2017. And I will say this. We were having a conversation during a break. is markedly different from the youth culture of 2016. And even if we just talk about issues related to identity and sexuality, and how those things have moved front and center in our culture, in a culture that, by the way, is offering a cultural narrative that is really diametrically opposed to the biblical narrative and that is catechizing kids 24-7. I don't know if you know this or not, uh, but kids are now sleeping. You know this. They're sleeping with their cell phones. They don't want to miss anything. There's tremendous mental health, spiritual health, physical health issues related to that. But even more so, when you look at the statistics, on teenagers spending nine hours a day, ages 13 to 18, nine hours a day engaged with screens. There's not one of us in this room. There's not a parent in our church that is spending nine hours a day in meaningful conversation about important matters and things with a young person. Tweens, it is ages eight to 12. 
It is six hours a day that they're spending with their screens. The culture is catechizing kids. And so what we need to do is, is really work to support, encourage, lead uh, parents to understand this, this catechesis that's taking place at the hands of the culture. And the culture is not all evil. There's, all truth is God's truth. We know that. And there are some wonderful bright spots out there in the culture. We just need to learn to discern what those are and, and support and encourage kids in understanding that. Parents the same way. Um, but but it is a markedly different culture. So a lot of what you're going to hear today really comes out of mistakes I've made, uh, observations I've made about our youth ministry world. Uh, one of the things the rooted folks might tell you about me is I've been deeply embedded in uh, the larger youth ministry community outside of Rooted for about 30, 35 years right now, and uh, doing things like this at, at the uh, National Youth Workers Convention and other places like that. And I'll tell you, I've gone from talking about culture at a lot of those places and informing youth workers to try to convince youth workers to listen more to the gospel and less to the culture in terms of how they're thinking about life in these matters um, and, and how they do ministry as well. So, and a lot of research has gone into this. So here's what I, here's what, whoops, I'm going to come back to that a little bit later, some ways to connect with us. But here's, um, here's what I want to give you. Uh, and I'm going to rifle through this rather quickly. I wish we had a whole day to spend on this. We could talk back and forth. I'll be around. And I know, I guess I'm going to go to dinner with some of you tonight. I don't know who that is yet, uh, who you are. Uh, but I would love to talk about these things further. But I want to give you first, Five necessary postures. And this is, for some of you, this may be old hat and purely corrective or evaluative for you. For some of you, this may steer you in a new direction. But five postures we need to take and assume. And then second, I want to go through five necessary responsibilities that I think you need to pursue and make a part of uh, the kind of ministry you're doing. Because this is not only warranted. Uh, but I think parents find it to be very, very helpful. So I, I may push on you a little bit. Um, you know, I, I come from, um, uh, while I'm in the larger youth ministry community, I come from a reform background. And the type of thinking that I do is one where I'm, I'm uh, not only looking at what's happening in the larger landscape, but I'm looking at what's happening in me, what's happening in my tribe, what's happening in, in the world of the people that I work with. And so if there's any criticism or pushing here on you, uh, trust me, it's a pushing on me as well, because I, I'm, I'm trying to understand a little bit of uh, what, what the assets are that we bring to the youth ministry table as people in the Rooted Conference and what are some of the liabilities as well, because there are those. So let me talk first about these postures, and I'm going to work through these rather quickly, and I hope to have a little bit of time at the end where we can have some discussion and, um, and some questions. So the first posture is this. And we already mentioned this, but I just want to mention it very quickly, and that is to absolutely positively see yourself not as the primary influence spiritually in the lives of these kids, but as a secondary influence. The youth ministry world of which I am a part uh, has a long, long history of ego and a long, long history of arrogance. And I've been a part of that early on. I assumed as a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old fresh out of college doing ministry, you know, someone who was close in age to students, like I said, it was a long time ago, um, you know, I, I'd look at parents and go, you're clueless. You are absolutely clueless. And let me just say that some of that ego and arrogance, just as an aside, was rooted in developmental realities of where I'm at. I'm not going to blame it all on that, but when we know now, that the human brain is not fully wired up and formed according to God's purpose and design until about the age of 24 and 25 years old. 
And the last part to get wired up is the frontal lobe, which is part responsible for executive functioning, decision-making, impulse control. Um, early on in youth ministry, and this may not be good news for some of you in this room because you're still young. Um, it's, this is why I talk all the time with social media to everybody of any age, but especially younger people, about the principle of the pause. Always pause before you say or do anything, send, post, uh, put anything up on social media because so many times we're just so doggone impulsive. And, and I think, too, we lack perspective. And so that was me. And really what was happening there, I was uh, uh, this arrogance, I was undermining God's order and design for the family. And that's what it is, you know, arrogance. And I think, you know, we have to realize we are our own worst enemy. My buddy Duffy Robbins and I, we do a lot of teaching together. And one of the things we're trying to instill in people, if you want to talk about gospel-centered youth ministry, is you have to have a deep, deep, rich theology of human depravity and brokenness. And you have to start with yourself, that your own worst enemy is you. And I think that arrogance and pride are ways that this rears its ugly head in our lives. I thought this was funny. You know, your ego is not your amigo. That's true. And so what we need to realize is let's step back and realize that God set this up. The family, the place where to be, where, that's the place God intended for us. He established this. He instituted it as a place for us to be born, loved, cared for, nurtured and brought to spiritual maturity. It's the place where we are to be moved from the dependence of childhood to the independence of adulthood. And just as an aside, this is a whole nother day-long seminar, families, parents, churches, youth ministries are not doing that well. Thomas Bergler at Huntington University has written a book called The Juvenilization of American Christianity. And I think youth ministry is, uh, our world is responsible for that in many ways. Extended adolescence, you know, youth group really should extend to about age 30 or 32 now with many people. And, and I think part of it is that we just haven't understood the role that the families played and we haven't grown up. We haven't moved to adulthood. Deuteronomy 6. You know, when we when we look at that passage right there, we see you're familiar with this. Uh, yeah, there is a role that the village plays. Absolutely. The church mentors. Cameron was talking about this today at lunch. Uh, but parents are the ones who are primarily responsible for spiritual nurture. Just as an aside, Deuteronomy six is about 24 seven ongoing catechesis that we are talking about the Lord. We're nurturing our children in the, in the Lord at every opportunity we have. And again, I'll say we have dropped the ball on this. And part of it is because we're we've been catechized by the culture ourselves. Parents have. And we're allowing the culture to do that as well. You move to the New Testament and just a couple of mentions of passages here. Ephesians six, where it, we're told, you know, fathers and this would go for families, parents as well. Don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That's our responsibility. So realize that you are a secondary influence. Now, let me make just a, a statement here, because this could be an issue for some of us. And I've seen this in uh, some of our more reformed churches. And that is that we may have created or become a part of uh, a church, uh, a congregational system or a church, local church body family that really says that youth ministry is only about covenant children. And I would push back on that. I would push back hard on that because there are a decreasing amount of covenant children in our world and our culture. There are a decreasing amount of covenant children in our communities. There are a decreased amount of covenant children in our churches. And certainly we need to be about the process of 
building up covenant families and seeing more and more covenant children in our families. But you may have to become, you may have to become, and there's a whole theology here with that you may have to work through with people who think, no, 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 the youth group's only for kids from Christian families. I would push back on that in some big, big ways. Theologically, I don't see that to be biblical at all. Um, but there will be times when you will become a primary spiritual influence in the life of a young person uh, because they are, in effect, spiritual orphans because of the situation in which they're growing up, um, either forgotten or there's no spiritual foundation there. So be sure to communicate to covenant parents clearly. Be sure to communicate to your church family clearly. I am not the primary influence. I'm not here to do this for you. I'm here to assist you. I'm a secondary influence. But let them know as well that you're going to be reaching out uh, to those kids who, who need to have that. And I will just say this. Some people will say, you know, this may be a question later. People will say uh, to me, you know, uh, in my church, well, no, we hired you to, to, to work with our kids. And what I would say to that, I'm just going to say, at my age, 61, and having searched the scriptures on this and been around the block a few times, I would say, too bad. Too bad. You know, I, I'm, I'm called to reach out and be a gospel influence everywhere. So, secondly, uh, second posture you need to have. And again, this is, you're going, man, this is, this is like no-brainer stuff. But I think we need to be reminded of this. Respect for the authority of parents. Your authority in a child's life is secondary, all right? Now, what that means is you need to respect the authority of parents. You cannot, you should not undermine the authority of parents. Now, granted, there are times where a young person will come to you and will confide in you about something that may be happening in the home. Don't jump to quick conclusions. You want to make sure everything they're saying is correct. We're living in a world right now where... Uh, issues and problems and brokenness go viral very quickly through social media. So, for example, we do a lot of work in the area of self-injury and self-harm. And that, that stuff was virtually unheard of, except in the mental health community 25 to 30 years ago. Now it's mainstream. Why? Kids are talking about it. And there are kids who will self-harm for no other reason than to self-harm because they've read about it, they've heard about it, and they want to fit in. The anxiety issue right now is another one. Kids are saying, I'm anxious, I'm full of anxiety because they want to fit in, because it makes them part of the crowd since the overwhelming number of their peers, the majority of their peers, are anxious. So sometimes you will have a kid come to you with a secret that may not actually be true. And I'm going to give you some things here to think about as you work through that. But what you, what, what you want to do is is, first off, is realize that you have a responsibility to the parents here to let them know. Now, if there is an issue where they, the parents are forcing a young person into doing something that is ethically or morally wrong, according to the scriptures, you're going to take a different approach here, obviously. But you do want to support and undermine parents. So what do you do if a kid comes to you with a secret? All right. And, and by the way, here's what I would say. Some of your parents, you, you get this, and I'm a parent, so I get this. What I want to, as a parent, what I want to know that that's happening in my child's life. And you have a responsibility to communicate to that parent. Um, and also, you can communicate to parents when, you know, this is one thing I ask parents all the time. What do you want me to know about your son? What do I need to know about your daughter? How can I assist you to walk through these problems? So, so if, let's say, there are kids come to you with secrets, kids come to you with uh, sin issues in their life, kids come to you with struggles, never say to them or promise I will not tell your parents. 
never, ever promise that to them. And there's reasons for that, because you are thereby undermining the authority of parents. And even though we live in a broken world, you're undoing God's order and design for the family. So if an issue arises, and this is why I'm giving you a very practical way here, and I've done this, to respect the authority of parents. If an issue arises, tell your students that you love them enough to tell them not only the truth from the gospel. All right, I love you enough to tell you the truth. Truth can sometimes be hard. But I love you enough as well to make sure that you communicate this to your parents. And now that you've told me, I have a responsibility for that. So how do you do this? Um, in a perfect world, what you want to do is talk with that student, pray with them, and say you need to tell your parents. Go and tell your parents and have them call me. I want to talk with them about this afterwards so we can develop some way to work together to walk you through this. All right? You're supporting them there. If they feel that they can't do that, say, I will go with you and I will support you as you communicate this to your parents because your parents need to know this. I'll let you do the talking, but I will be there with you as you tell them. And as a last-ditch effort, and I've had to do this on several occasions, if you refuse to tell your parents, I'm going to love you enough and I respect them enough and I'm going to be obedient to God enough to go and talk to your parents and let them know about this. So does this make sense? Does this make sense? Okay. Very practical thing there. And I, well, again, we could spend a day talking about this, but just respecting authority of parents with that. Another way to respect the authority of parents is as you deal with difficult topics in your youth ministry setting. Uh, I'm sure there's people who have been in, in youth ministry here in this room for a while who have been blindsided by you know, talking to kids about sex and sexuality, and then parents come to you and they say, how dare you talk about that, you know? So, for example, I had a, I, I, and I've learned, by the way, you know, when that happens, what you need to do is inform parents. Here is what we're going to be talking about. Here is when we're going to be talking about it. Here is the content of it. And I'm going to follow up, and I'm going to give you some materials that will allow you to discuss these matters with your kids as well. Sexuality seems to be one of those big issues. And when I go into a community and I talk to students as young as middle schoolers, very openly, very straightforwardly about the brokenness of uh, sexuality through pornography, and I tell parents, I'm going to talk to I'm going to talk to your kids at a at an adult to adult level. I'm going to respect them highly, and I know that they'll listen uh, if I do that. I will tell them exactly what I'm going to talk about, and they have the option to pull their kids out. And I've had parents, I had a dad of a 16-year-old girl come to me and say, well, that's awesome, you're going to talk about that, but my daughter's 16, she doesn't deal with those things. Sexual feelings and urges. And I said, well, um, <laughs> okay, that's your, that's your prerogative to, you know, to pull her out of that and, and not have her as a part of that. Um, again, you're, you're just respecting the authority of parents. And not only that, you're, you're saying to them, I want to come alongside of you and help you with this. If an issue arises in the culture that you feel you need to talk about and address, sit with the parents first and raise their awareness. So, for example, how many of you watched um, uh, 13 Reasons Why? 13 Reasons Okay. I think all youth workers should watch 13 Reasons Why. Now, Again, if you don't know the story, it's, uh, it's a story of a girl named Hannah Baker who commits suicide and leaves these tapes. And with these tapes, she leaves 13 reasons why she committed suicide. All of these addressed to individuals in her school. 
who she blames. Now, you, you can question, uh, you know, you can question whether this promotes suicide, promotes revenge suicide. I could not keep my eyes on the screen in the episode where she took her own life. It was horrid. Um, and rarely do I have to turn away just because of what I do. But I saw that. I mean, my wife and I both, as we watched together, we turned away. We found out, we did a podcast on this. You can listen to it. We have a Youth Culture Matters podcast. We discovered most kids are watching 13 Reasons Why. And kids whose parents don't, you know, have the ability to stream the thing uh, or Netflix are watching elsewhere. And they're streaming it and they're binge watching it as young as middle school. Look, they're watching it, right? Okay, they've seen it. They have not processed it biblically and Christianly. What I would do is I would go to parents and I would say, here's here's the reality. You don't want your kids to watch it. They've watched it. So what I'd like to do is have permission to talk to students, find out who's watched it. And I would like to go so far as to watch it with them. They've watched it. Now, this may seem like a stretch for some of you here, but you do this. They've seen it. They've processed it. Not properly. What you want to do is think with them. You want to think Christianly with them to give the ability to process these things in, in, uh, and talk about them in uh, Christ-centered, biblically-centered ways. Now, again, this may not fly with some of you. What I'm saying is don't do that without parental permission. You always want to talk to parents and invite them to have, you know, the last line of refusal and pull their kids out. That's the way to respect the authority of parents and not undermine that. So... Just a simple thing there, all right? Is this making sense? I feel like I'm flying. And uh, All right. Uh, third posture is just being a listener. Just being a listener. And uh, I'll say it this way. Uh, communication theorists would say that uh, if you want someone to listen to you, you have to listen to them. And I will tell you this. The greatest complaint of young people that I've heard for the last 29 years of doing this and talking to kids, the greatest complaint about parents and youth workers is this. Number one, they don't listen to me. Number two, they don't understand. My feeling on this is that most communication breakdowns that take place between teenagers and adults are the fault of the adults because we have not taken the time to listen and really hear. And I'm going to tell you, I am more guilty of this in my own family than I am with other people's kids. Those of you who are parents know exactly what I'm talking about because it's very easy to be a grace-filled person with everybody else's kids. And then when it gets to your place, you know, my kids say three words of a 25-word of a sentence, and I already know how they're going to complete it, and I interrupt them and give them the answer. And that is a total communication breakdown maker. So if we don't listen, we can't understand. If the person doesn't feel understood, and uh, they're not going to listen to anything we have to say. And the same rule applies, not just between generations, but within and even between youth worker and parent. Parents, uh, Parenting is an extremely frustrating and confusing job. It's not easy. If you don't have kids, I'm telling you, it is tough. And as I said to someone at lunch, you know, little kids, little problems, uh, big kids, big problems. You've heard that cliche. That carries on in Christian families as well. And so what we want to do is listen and understand, earn the right to be heard, because these are broken people living with broken people. And sometimes we just need to say to parents when they come to us, give them the respect to say, tell me your story. We do a day-long seminar called Tackling the Tough Stuff. Uh, it's Mark Penner and myself, and it's from 8.30 in the morning till 5. We did it last weekend in Corvallis, Oregon. We had 250 parents and youth workers there. But at, during every 15-minute break, there was a line of people to talk to both myself and Marv. And these are parents who are so broken, 
Christian parents, Christian families, kids who are struggling with things that every time we do this, it's something new that is shocking to Marvin, to myself. And, you know, the best thing we can do is connect the dots for them sometimes with the help that they need. But in the immediate situation, the best thing to do is to sit and to just listen. Once we hear them, once we hear them, they're more willing to be heard. And the sad reality is those people don't know me and Marv from Adam. We're up, we're people in the front of a room. We've never had a relationship with them prior. And they just want someone to hear what they have to say. And the number of parents who come to us, we had one mom come to us. Her husband left her. Her daughter died. Sweet, sweet lady. Husband left her for another woman. Daughter died from a heroin overdose, teenage daughter. Uh, she has uh, two birth ch children, six adopted children. So now she's raising seven. And her 21-year-old son came home and said, I'm transitioning to be a female. And I'm starting hormone replacement. And she stood there with tears in her eyes. And the last thing she said was, what do I do? All of my friends in the church are deleting me from being their Facebook friend. They're shunning me in the church. They're not talking to me. Now, I know there's a bigger story, but where is the listening? Where is the understanding? Listening and understanding does not mean we agree with, does not mean we approve. It means we hear. And that creates an open door for them to speak with us. So really work hard to listen and understand. Fourth, humility. Fourth posture is humility. Um, uh, over my years in youth ministry and with what I do, you know, with CPYU, especially talking about engaging with culture, we get a lot of pushback. But I got to tell you, the greatest opposition that I faced in youth ministry and in, in my time in doing what I've done over the last 30 some years is, um, well, the biggest jerk in the world who wants to take me out is me. That's the best way to say it. All right. So you got to realize, again, your brokenness. Um, you and I, we are called. And we are called, and I trust that we're gifted in ministry, but we're not infinitely gifted. We don't know everything. And part of, of uh, embracing a posture of humility is realizing that today I, lo I know far less than what I thought I knew yesterday. And so, I mean, think about this. You and I don't have power other than God's power and the power of the Spirit. Think about in Genesis 41:16 that story of Pharaoh going to Joseph, you know, he has these dreams and he wants to have the dreams interpreted. You know, I heard from these guys in the jail that you can interpret dreams. Well, what was Joseph's answer? I can't do it. I can't do it, but God can. And it's the same thing with us, with our students. Know your limits. Most of us here in this room, we are not counselors. And we may want to fix the problems that we encounter with families and kids, um, but we're not counselors. Most of us in this room, we're not parents of teens. If you haven't raised teens, don't teach parenting. And if you have raised teens and you're teaching parenting, I will guarantee you, you'll be doing it from a posture of humility uh, because you've raised teens and you're still struggling with that. Um, but do make it a priority support and resource parents. So work to be teachable. Show vulnerability to say, I don't know. Communicate your own brokenness. And by the way, sometimes in our arrogance, we pour shame on parents. Uh, don't do that, because there, there before the grace of God go you and I. Um, I think about John White, uh, Christian counselor. He passed away about 20 years ago. He wrote a book called Parents in Pain. He raised a prodigal son who actually has come back into the fold, is now in ministry. But people would ask John White, you know, about his son, who, in his words, had gone terribly, terribly wrong. And White took a real posture of humility. He said, my wife and I, we deal with him this way. 
We, our basic rule is this, as Christ is to me, so must I be to my children. As Christ is to me, so must I be to my children. And there's nothing more humbling than realizing that we cannot save ourselves. It is grace. And in the midst of our brokenness, Christ comes to us. And so we need to do the same with with parents. I love this. uh, If you're not familiar with the Valley of Vision, the wonderful Puritan prayer book. Oh, that all my distresses and apprehensions might prove. But Christ's school to make me fit for greater service by teaching me the great lesson of humility, a great, a great, great uh, prayer for us to pray as we work with parents. And then uh, last posture is this, support parents. Parenting is difficult business, as I said. These are broken people raising broken kids. Um, I mentioned this tackling the tough stuff seminar we do. I want to show you this because these these what I'm going to show you comes all from um, kids from Christian families and from church youth groups. And I realize that as the crowds get bigger and the stories get deeper and more difficult every time, that parents are definitely in need of our support rather than our judgment or our judging. And so we went to a community in uh, Longview, Washington last year. And the youth groups, the the churches that had sponsored us, passed this big piece of foam board or whatever it was, drywall, I forget what it was, around. And they had the kids write, you know, what, what are the tough things you're dealing with? And I just took some close-ups of some things. Look at look at some of these things that kids are dealing with. Now, this is part of parents as well. Uh, my pain, my broken heart, my anxiety, my depression, my lack of hope, my self-esteem. I need help. Please, I miss my life from four months ago. Things unraveling quickly for that young person. Uh, letting my ex-boyfriend do things to me that shouldn't have happened. And by the way, this is going to come up in your youth group, the whole Me Too thing, which... The unfortunate thing about social media is these things die out pretty quickly. They become fads. But you will have kids who may open up about this. You may have parents who open up about this. And they just need someone to come and walk alongside them. We'll get to something here in a little bit and responsibilities that will help. But you see that. Uh, stress to be what others want. Self-harm. Um, not wanting help. Suicidal thoughts and self-harming issues and to help me with friendships I have lost. And then look, the other one, the other one, another person just says, okay, he or she wrote what I wanted to write. There it is, the arrow, the same. Wanting to kill myself. I never feel like I'm enough, so I carry around depression, jealousy, hate, and I hide it from everyone. Now look, this is where we need to come alongside parents, but one of the deepest things we can do in this, and I am thrilled to hear this mentioned last night and today, is to teach a theology of suffering. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says this, and I know this from experience, all right? Some of you in this room do as well, that suffering is a gift in many ways from God. It's part of the brokenness of this world, but it drives us deeper to God. My suffering was good for me, for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. There will be times, and I speak again from experience as a dad, when you have parents, Christian parents, who have loved their kids and raised and nurtured their kids, They will get to a crisis point. Kids will be in crisis. So mom and dad are in crisis. And mom and dad will drop their arms to their sides and look to God and say, okay, I've got nothing here. There is nothing in my power I can do. And I've been there. And what we needed more than anybody else was for our brothers and sisters in Christ to surround us and just be there with us, support us, care for us, pray for us, listen to us as God was doing his redeeming work. And God's parenting parents as parents parent their kids. And so for you to come alongside them and just be a support is a great thing. So let me give you five responsibilities now. 
And uh, hopefully that was helpful. But here are five responsibilities. For some of you, some of those things may have been new. For some of you, it was just a checkup. But we've got to recalibrate and reboot ourselves all the time, I think, on this. So five necessary responsibilities that you need to build into your ministry. And I'm going to start with you. And that is, I, I don't think you're here unless this is the desire of your heart, and that is to go deep. Go deep in your faith. Um, I remember years ago hearing this man. Some of you know J.I. Packer? I mean, he, when I heard him speak like 40 years ago, he was like 80 years old. <laughs> I don't know how he is still doing what he's doing. It's an amazing thing, you know, but I remember him saying this, and this stuck with me. I was actually in college at the time, and he said, the church in America... 40 years ago, it was 1,000 miles wide and a half inch deep. Um, that's changed. It's a lot wider and it's a lot less deeper. And I would say that there's a crisis in our youth ministry world as well. And I will say this. The people who will pay the most for a lack of depth is the next generation of uh, Christian young people. And I don't even know if we'll be able to call them Christian young people if we don't take them deep, if they don't understand what grace is and what faith is and what it means to live under the authority of God's word. Uh, know the word. Dig down deep. That's the only way you're going to take kids and families deep. In Ephesians uh, 4.15, there's some marching orders that really are about study. And I can't emphasize enough your need to be studying. That is the most important thing you can do in youth ministry. In all things, grow up in him. This is about preparation. I mean, plagiarism right now. Uh, you know, we get so busy with our things that we now download talks and we take other people's talks. And how do we know if there's theological integrity with those things? Uh, how do we preach and teach out of our passion if it doesn't come out of our own study? How will we grow deep if all we're doing is passing on secondhand things by reading scripts? And this is not just in youth ministry. This is church-wide. And I think we need to study. Um, our teaching should come from studying, not surfing. Our teaching should show, flow out of our discipline um, and our diligence and our depth, not our downloading. And we, we can't be passionate about it if, if it's not ours. Keller, I love this from Keller. I just, I put this up on my blog, this talk he gave, uh, for the Gospel Coalition on, um, sermon preparation. And I love this. I want to communicate this to every youth worker I know. And that is if, if you want to preach to the heart, you must preach from the heart. And you have to tend to your heart. Billy Graham, we all know who he is. He said this, this oft quoted, I preach too much and study too little. Are you kidding me? You can never study too much. That's the point here. And it is out of the depth of your faith that, that the passion will, will come. Um, I love what Paul says to Timothy, these marching orders in 1 Timothy 6.20. Guard the deposit entrusted to you. I would say the same thing. Youth workers, guard the deposit entrust, entrusted to you. Never, never feel like you've arrived. I'm just going to tell you, most parents that you deal with do not have a deep um, and growing knowledge of the Christian faith. They don't. They don't. And one of the best things you can do is make sure you're growing your faith. And in the context of your entire church congregation and body, you're contributing uh, to the growth and the knowledge, um, the spiritual formation, not just of kids, but of parents as well. Now, this is a big one, all right? I want to spend a little time here because this is oftentimes forgotten. 
And, and this is where I do most of my work, and I think we have really failed miserably in the church uh, to do this, especially when we, this is, this happens a lot in ministries that are labeled as gospel-centered, and that is we become so in tune with the word that we know little or nothing about the world. Uh, this last summer, I had a chance, um, I did some training at a summer uh, youth worker event. I know a couple of people were there. Uh, it was for Reformed Youth Ministries. I was with the youth workers. And a guy had sat through the training I did on culture. And you know, I had been talking about uh, biblical sexuality the first year, second year. I was talking about media, uh, social media kids, how to disciple them into uh, God-honoring social media use. Because Christ, if Christ is truly the Lord of all life, it's about every square inch uh, that we're to, to call to live redemptively into his glory. So I was talking about these things. And this guy came up to me and says, all right, I'm going to tell you, I'm a pastor. I'm a seminary graduate. I can exegete the scriptures. I learned all those tools, but I've got no idea how to bring my exegesis to the level of what's happening in the world. Why aren't they training us to do that? Why aren't they training us to do that? And I'm going to tell you, you've got to, this is... Jesus, the night before he died, prayed the will of the Father, right? In the garden, John 17, what? That his disciples in all times and all places would be in, but not of the world. I'm going to talk tomorrow about cultural exegesis. Paul in Acts 17, perfect example. Uh, before he proclaimed Jesus in the resurrection, which the passage says he did, what did he do? He shut his mouth and he opened his eyes, he opened his ears, and he walked around and he looked carefully at their objects of worship. He wanted to preach Jesus in the resurrection, all right, the exegesis. He wanted to do it, biblical exegesis, and he wanted to communicate it contextually after having done his cultural exegesis. And this is what we need to do. All right, I'll mention a name here. I'll get some of you worked up. Carl Bart. Um, there's been some interesting stuff written about him in the last couple of weeks, and I'm just like, oh, wow. Uh, maybe not surprising. I don't know. But Carl Bart, one of the great things he said, right, all truth is God's truth. Bart said every Christian should start their day with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Every youth worker should start their day with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Every parent should be taught to start their Bible uh, day with a Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. I mean, this is what I literally do. We are to become, like we read in uh, 1 Chronicles 12.32, like the men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what the Israel should do. We need to become men and women of Issachar who understand the times. You know, the Germans had that word zeitgeist, the spirit of the times. We need to understand that and bring the truths of God's word to, uh, to, to bring light in the darkness that exists. And by the way, understanding is not the same as accepting, believing, and following, right? It's about being discerning. John Stott called this dual listening in his book, The Contemporary Christian. What is this? We stand between the word and the world with consequent obligation to listen to both. We listen to the word to discover even more the riches of Christ, and we listen to the world in order to discern which of Christ's riches are needed most and how to present them in their best light. So, again, you have to increase your cultural knowledge. I'll give you some, some, some uh, things on how to do this in just a few minutes when we end and some ways we can help you do this. These are the kinds of things I think Cameron was talking about at lunch with some of the blogs. I know Mike McGarry real well. He was a student of ours in our doctoral um, program at, at Gordon-Conwell. He was working to do this. And basically what I'm saying is this. Here, Look at this right here. And I want you to draw. I don't know if you guys over here can see this. But I want you to understand the difference between these two things. 
Because if we strive, as I think the overwhelming majority of our peers in youth ministry are doing, and many pastors and churches are doing, if we strive to be culturally relevant, styles are going to look great. If you go on some of the, I'm, I'm, I'm in, because I'm embedded in this world, I'm a lot, I'm in a lot of the youth ministry, uh, Facebook groups, and I'm amazed. It seems like 90% of the posts about, how's this t-shirt look? Or is my youth room looking okay? What color would you paint the walls? How do I get a better couch than this? I want to upgrade this. I want to update that. Um, what technology are you using for this? What are you using for that? And, and I'm just going to tell you, those things, okay, it's okay to curate ourselves, right? It, 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 I mean, w with some of those things to, to a degree, but it's become an obsession. And it's all about style over substance. So if we're striving to be culturally relevant, we have less time to go deep and study because we're curating and tending to things and the external things, and we become overly busy with that. And by the way, because of the rate of cultural change and uh, planned obsolescence that marketing builds into things, fashion's like this, right? I gave up a long time ago, by the way. Um, it, because of planned obsolescence, I'll get it. I'll get it just right. And I'll sit down and go, all right, finally. And next week, out of style. I got to do it again. So what we need to do is strive not to be culturally relevant, but be culturally informed. And, and just know what's happening out there. Exegete the culture. Listen to understand. Do dual listening. Start your day with the Bible in one hand, the newspaper in the other. And so that you can bring the light of God's word to bear on the realities that exist. And in the context of relationship, I'm just going to tell you, it doesn't matter whether you're 18 and doing youth ministry or 87, as one of my close friends up in Pennsylvania who's been doing youth ministry since 1948, a church of the brethren woman. I mean, she looks like a, when I see my friend Vern, I just want to say, Vern, bake me a pie. That's what she looks like, right? Um, I wish I had a picture of her. It loaded in here. Kids love her. She's working with like skater kids in this town. These kids who have no place to go and they love her. This little, little, little woman with a covering on her head and the long cotton dress. I mean, it's hilarious, but she's culturally informed. She comes to all the youth ministry trainings we do. She'd be sitting right there. You don't look like her. Don't worry. Thank you. Um, <laughs> she does wear that same plaid, though. It's amazing. Yeah. So, 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 so when you here's what happens when you're culturally informed, that'll translate down into this. And and again, it's just going deep. It's just going deep in what's there in the world. You know, look, Kit, I had a I had a, a woman come to me. This is a great story. This is where you can really be a hero to parents. Um, Nobody's telling them about what's happening in the culture. That's why they came to me. So I had this woman come to me. This is some of you. This is before you're born, all right? 1988. Get the get the context here. She comes into me on a on a, a weekday morning. I'm in my office at the church, and she comes in and she is just so excited. She said, "I couldn't wait till tonight when there was youth group. I have to come in and tell you this now. I am so excited. My daughter, her name was Kim, who was in ninth grade. My daughter Kim is finally interested in positive." healthy music. In fact, Friday night, she's going down to Philly to the Spectrum for that Christian concert that's down at the Spectrum. I'm like, There's a, who's down at the Spectrum? She goes, well, I can't remember the name of the guy, um, but he wears a cross. He has a cross around his neck and he's a cross earring and he has that album um, called Faith. Do you know who we're talking about here? George Michael. That's exactly right. And his song, it just so happened that I had printed out 
uh, or printed down. You could, we, Al Gore hadn't invented the internet yet, but I had found the lyrics to a song that had, was charting at just that time called I Want Your Sex, which was in heavy rotation on MTV, uh, which is creepy, I know. I opened, I said, sit down. <laughs> opened the door, drawer and I gave her the lyrics and she just broke down. I mean, it was devastating to her. But at the same time, now she had something to go home and talk about. Parents are by and large ignorant to these things. So, so here's the thing, all right? There's two things, um, besides God's word, there's two things in the world that you are uniquely equipped and positioned as youth workers to communicate to parents, even if you're not a parent. The first thing is as much as you can about adolescent development. Become an expert on that and just help them understand that. Now you're not telling them how to parent. You're helping them understand how kids grow and change. And there's some resources I can point you to that will help you with that. You need to be an expert in that, okay? The second thing is just culture. What are the kinds of things that are happening? Now, when you find those things, anything you find, did you hear what Cameron said today? We're going to send you this email, just forward it on. We do the same thing at CPYU. In fact, you know, I totally forgot about this. I'm going to pass this around. We do a, like an e-update. If you want to get it, sign it. This is an iPad 1.0, by the way. Um, just give us your vitals there and we'll put you on. But we see we're sending these things to you. We're finding them, sending them to you about the culture. Then you pass them on. You become a hero to parents. And what you want to do is help them understand the trends. And the reason you want to help them understand the trends is because together as a church community, and we'll work with you as well on this. This is, this is something we're working hard on at CPYU, is every time you see a trend, you want to communicate that to parents. You want to communicate that to your church staff, those who are working with children who are younger because of age compression. Youth culture starts at birth now. And those who are in the pulpit, because they need to preach to these things, right? So you build a church culture that's going to respond in gospel-centered ways um, to uh, three three specific ways to whatever the cultural trend is. So, for example, all right, let's talk about this. 15 square inches of glass. Most of your kids have these things, and their the world's coming to them, and they're going to the world through this. This is how they're being catechized and shaped. There's a narrative that comes through with that. I get a phone call last December. It's a mother. Um, I live in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Um, she said, I'm from so-and-so Christian school. Uh, and my daughter, I want, I need some help. My daughter, her phone was just confiscated by the police. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, um, it appears that somebody contacted my daughter and asked her to send her a nude picture of herself. And my daughter did that. And so the police have the phone now. My daughter's in trouble and they're not sure what they're going to do with her, but they're trying to figure out who asked for this. She said the story gets a little deeper than that, and that is that one of her classmates, her best friend in school, same thing. The two of them together, they took the phones. Now, here's the clincher, all right? The daughter, the girls, are 10 years old. 10 years old. Now, I'm thinking to myself, number one, Mom, I can't believe you put a phone in the hand of your daughter that you can take pictures, send and receive pictures, internet access. I mean, you, you just put dynamite, a hand grenade into the hand of your kid. I mean, just the lack of wisdom. So was she blindsided? Yes. Should someone have helped her understand this? Yes. And this is where when you see something, you can have a threefold response or influence. All right. So this is where our church this is very practical here. The first is so with the cell phone and let's say sexting. All right. There's a lot of kids who would say, well, it's not sex 
because, uh, you know, a, a guy would say, I'm not inserting my penis into a girl's vagina. That's not sex. Well, I beg to differ. And I think, to, and I beg to differ because the scriptures differ. Let's talk about sex and sexuality. So on the issue of sexting, you want to talk about that, all right? Uh, that's the prophetic. This is what the scriptures say to this cultural reality. Another issue you want to talk about related to that is impulsivity, decision-making, identity, all these things. I mean, because all these things are wrapped up in why kids are getting involved in these behaviors. So together in your church, you want to say, you want to pull parents together and say, here's an issue, sexting. I'm going to raise your awareness of this. And um, we've got handouts you can find on our website that are free. I'll give you that in just a minute that you can put in their hands and then say, here are here's what the scriptures say about this. You want to teach your students as well. That's the prophetic. Then you want to move into the preventive. Help parents understand, here are some ways to prevent this behavior. Simple thing. Don't put a phone in the hand of a 10-year-old. Don't put that, a phone with that ability in the hand of a 14-year-old. I saw pornography for the first time when I was 12. And I'm just being honest with you. I loved it. I, I, I was attracted to it. You know why? God made me a sexual being with desires. But I shudder to think what I would be today as a 12-year-old boy in today's world and who I would grow up to be as a man, a husband, a father, um, if I had had this device when I was 12 years old. So see, you see this? You, it's not just saying follow Jesus. And here's what it means to follow Jesus. You're showing them how to do it. So you're going to give parents preventive steps. All right. And then you also in your church need to take um, the redemptive, the redemptive approach. And that is what do we do when um, kids cross the line? Because they're no different than we are. They're broken human beings growing up in a broken world with other broken human beings. In this case, their sexuality is broken, so they're going to struggle with things just like we do. So what are the redemptive steps we're going to take? Do you get this? So know the culture and respond to it. i got to keep flying here. Third, um, resource parents. And this is where I want to encourage you to be, the, be a hero. Tell them everything. Communicate frequently with them. Give them information. Give them tools. Give them resources. Um Put books in their hands. Uh, you can't teach parenting, but get a parenting class going. Uh, Ted Tripp's book, Shepherding a Child's Heart. Paul Tripp's book, Parenting. Paul Tripp's book, um, Age of Opportunity, A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Um, I should have slides for these. I'm sorry. Leslie Leyland Fields, her book, uh, Parenting is Your Highest Calling and Eight Other Myths That Trap Us in Worry and Guilt. All biblically centered and good foundation and get them to get give them these things parent meetings uh we do a parent page you can subscribe to to give to them this e-update you can sign up for uh sending podcasts their way all these things and i would say as well turn them on to catechism you may have a catechism in your church already but if not uh, Tim Keller and the folks at Redeemer just re re released the New City Catechism, and it's a great tool. There's a children's version of it coming out very shortly. Fourth, two more here quickly, refer. It be a, a refer. It is going to happen. It is going to happen when you get the knock at the door at 2 in the morning or the phone call in the middle of the afternoon with a distraught parent who is in crisis, and, and you know, unless you're ready. And what I want to encourage you to do is this. Always be ready. If you can make a list of all the cultural issues that are out there that kids are dealing with. Sexting, we just mentioned one, all right? Or what if we find out that a kid is struggling with disordered eating? Or what if there is um, uh, an opioid addiction? Because that's happening a lot now. And parents just find out. In that moment, they need help. Don't 
wait till the problem arises and say, give me a couple days to figure out what to do. If you and your church staff have a list of all the possibilities, it won't be exhaustive, but do the best you can and say, here is a phone number we're going to give you to call. Here is a resource we're going to give you to read. And here is a counselor or a treatment center or something that we can send you to right away. If you have those things at arm's length, you're well prepared. And I don't care if you're single, if you're married, if you've got kids or not, you have to have all of those things. Um, be sure that you're, be sure that you're, uh, that you're doing that. And then lastly, be a harbinger of hope. Um, let me say this. Um, it's, you know, p parenting, as I said, is difficult, difficult business. And the story, the thing we need to realize is this. More often than not, we're not going to have an answer. More often than not, we're just going to have to listen. More often than not, we can always pray with them and for them. And we can always stand with them and behind them. But the one thing you need to remember is this. The story isn't over yet. The story isn't over yet. Who knows what God is doing in that life of that young person or in the life of that family? Psalm 11 says this, and, and I love this. I've gone to this a lot as a dad, as somebody in ministry, as someone who looks at the culture. It says this, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Now, we live in a world where it's all about doing, right? I want to fix things. Give me a button to push, a, a, a switch to flip a phone number of someone to call, a pill to take, and then we can walk away from it. No, God doesn't do that. The answer that the psalmist gets is rather a statement of the sovereignty of God, that God is and that God is in control. And sometimes that's the best hope we can give. That's not a cliche. That's truth. But by communicating this in the context of all those other things that I, I gave to you, that gives you a way to walk alongside parents and be a support with them. Youth ministry is never complete. Ministry is never complete. It's never going to be complete till we get to the fourth chapter of the gospel story, which is what? We got creation, full redemption, restoration. We're in that in-between time right now, and it is doggone messy. It is doggone messy. But we have hope. We have a future hope, and we have a hope for now. And in community, with your support and your encouragement, uh, parents can really, really benefit. So let me end with that. Thank you for listening to The Rooted Podcast, where we hope to communicate the truths of the gospel and apply those truths to youth ministry. We would love for you to check out our website, where we post articles daily geared towards both youth ministers and parents. You will also find more information about our conferences, regional events, and more at www.rootedministry.com.